You're listening to Women Making Waves on Cambridge 105 Radio. Lucy De Silva has suffered the awful experience of being sexually abused as a child and subsequently went through drug and alcohol abuse, but has turned the situation around to enable her to help and support other people going through the trauma. Lucy speaks to Linda Ness. Now I understand that I really had to hit bottom and I had nowhere else to go but up, really, or or dying. You know, it was that serious. I'm joined in the studio today by Lucy Da Silva. Lucy's story is a thing of nightmares because she's in recovery from alcohol and drug addiction, bulimia and anorexia nervosa, after living through a really abusive childhood. She's now a psychotherapist and together with her husband helps other people face their demons through the Happy as Larry group. Very many thanks for joining us today, Lucy. It's good to have you in the studio. Thanks, Linda. Thanks for having me. Can you give me a very brief overview of your childhood? Very briefly. (laughs) Yeah, um, I mean, I had a a normal childhood up to about six or seven years old. And then my mother remarried. And unfortunately, that person wasn't a very nice person. And from that age, I suffered with sexual abuse and physical abuse and mental abuse, all sorts of abuse up until I was in my teen years. Yeah. So it's a very brief overview of what my childhood was like. So pretty ghastly. Did your mother, was she aware or were you, were you kind of frightened into not telling anybody about what was going on? I was too frightened to say anything was happening, although the the physical abuse was something that was going on that was quite apparent. And I was injured on a number of occasions and, and had to go to hospital and see the doctors and all sorts. But I now understand that my mum was very much controlled by this person as well. And so, you know, there's a lot that goes into being manipulated behind the scenes for her too. So... Yeah, Hmm. it was all of us that were suffering, really. So you got to the point that you told someone, didn't you, Mm -hmm. at school? Mm -hmm. What happened after that? Well, we were taken to a refuge so that we were protected from the perpetrator and there was a case that was formulated and it went on for a number of months for quite a long time. But I wasn't aware that my mother was still being controlled and manipulated by by the perpetrator. So he was still in the picture? He was still in the picture even though he wasn't meant to be. And unfortunately, my mum was vulnerable and um, she was convinced by him that I wasn't telling the truth. In a nutshell, the whole thing fell, the whole case fell, because I was told that I would be at fault if he was to go into prison and that it would be on my head um, if that happened. And, you know, I was 12 years old. So to put that kind of responsibility on a child, you know, it's an awful, awful thing when I think about it now. And I dropped the charges. I was convinced that... I was lying, I was told that I was lying and being so young, I was so confused. And yeah, and so the whole thing fell through. And you ended up living back with him again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And did the abuse continue at that stage? 
uh, not the sexual abuse. There was a lot of kind of uh, ex- exposure still happening. I mean, the environment was just a horrible environment to be in because I was just frightened all the time. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, I've, you know, obviously I developed those issues when I was older, but I don't sleep very well either still. I've had to work on a lot of that stuff because... I started wearing earplugs when I was very young to to block out a lot of that stuff that was going on. You know, there was always still a lot of fighting, a lot of arguing, and it was just, you know, he he took all the locks off the door so we wouldn't have any privacy. And there was a lot of, uh, it's called covert and overt stuff, you know, like stuff that went under the the radar, but a lot of control, a lot Mm. of mind games, a lot of neglectful behaviour towards us. so, uh, yeah, it was just, it was another nightmare, but of a different kind. And yeah. this isn't just impacting you when you're at home, is it, presumably? Mm-hmm. Your schooling would have suffered everything. Relationships would have suffered everything. Every single thing in my life from that age up until I came into recovery was affected by those years, the stuff that went on. But going back to what you were saying, you know, my my schooling suffered, my friendship suffered, I suffered as a person. It made me very introverted. Um, I, I didn't have any self-confidence. I felt just dirty and at fault all the time. I'm academically very bright, but because I was also bullied into thinking that I was stupid because I was told I was stupid and fat quite a lot too (laughs) Um, and you know that convinced me that I was just worthless and I wasn't going to do well and unfortunately and and I do feel sad saying this still now I didn't get very good GCSEs because I couldn't focus of course not so I suffered academically as well and at 16 I well I was left in a house on my own and I didn't have a choice but to go out to work so you know it affected my opportunities for future as well unfortunately yeah yeah Yeah. no it is really sad so you then fell into taking drugs and and drinking too much by a way of coping I you know I didn't understand at that age would you understand that if you was you know I, I wasn't given any real good life skills as a result of that stuff you know I wasn't I wasn't shown that I was worth anything and actually I wasn't shown that my body was worth anything either so that that kind of trickled through into my behavior you know I became very promiscuous at a very Mm. young age and you know because I was taught that my body wasn't worth anything um but yeah the drink and drugs drinking started as a teenager that was very much recreational to start with but as the years went by and drugs came into it and um, both of them went hand in hand and then the eating disorder started very young as well and that was my way of coping. And that was because you were being told you were fat? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I was put on a slim fast diet when I was 11 years old. Um, So if that's not going to convince someone that you've got an issue with your body and your weight and what you look like, then I don't know what else would. So having that drummed into you at such a young age that what you are worth is how you look and what body shape you are, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's intrinsically, it's, it was in within me to think that my value would have been placed on how I looked. Obviously, I know different now, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's taken a long time to pick that apart. And actually, I still struggle with it today. Mm. So what happened? What was the turnaround? How did you manage to get out of that cycle? Because it sounds like a terrible cycle. It was a terrible cycle that went on for a number of years, um, a long, long time. It it took for me to get really desperately 
unhappy and using alcohol almost daily. My eating disorder was completely out of control. Um, I mean, it started off me overeating and being a lot bigger. And then in my 20s, it went to anorexia and then to bulimia, where I was vomiting almost daily. Mm-hmm. A daily, I was daily, yeah. But then with my drinking and my drug taking, it got to a point where I had a mental breakdown and, and I was signed off of work. Um, and I drank 24 hours a day for about almost two weeks. I guess looking back now, it needed to happen. Yes, um, a crisis. Definitely. Yeah. Um, because I really, now I understand that I really had to hit bottom and I had nowhere else to go but up, really, or, or dying. You know, it was that serious. Mm-hmm. And um, I was signed off of work and I was given a referral to a treatment centre. And even then, I still didn't think that I was, I had a drinking problem. I guess the denial was so strong. Uh, I still but saw myself. It was part as, of your life as well. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, actually. It, you know, the denial uh, fits into the kind of thought process that, well, I'm young and I'm enjoying myself and, I, and I'm allowed to do this. You know, other people are doing this. Mm-hmm. But when it becomes that I'm drinking in the morning just to get rid of my shakes and, you know, the DTs and, that's not normal, you know. No. People don't pour vodka on their cornflakes. No. Not that I was doing that, but, you know, <laughs> it was that bad for me. I think when you're young, it is easy to think that everybody else is running that lifestyle as well. But actually, they're maybe just doing it on a Friday and Saturday. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the normal, inverted mm. commas, way of, of drinking and having fun. And, and towards the end, it wasn't fun anymore. No. It wasn't fun. So what happened? Did the doctors help? Was it the, the A&E? What, what actually came along i i went to the doctors to get signed off of work um on the pretense that i was suffering with depression and actually i say pretense i would have been too but i got the referral to the treatment center when i went there not really knowing whether i was going to do anything with it or not and then i had that breakdown and uh, i didn't have any choice but to go really because i could have gone back to work but i was going this cycle of everything was just destruction was happening to every single area of my life. Mm-hmm. So I decided to go to the treatment centre and it was the best decision I've ever made in my life. One of the best decisions I've ever made. It, it was a turning point for me. I I was assessed by a psychiatrist when I went there and then they had one of the addiction counsellors come in and speak to me. And, and I always say that I remember this and I remember this to the day I die, that she came into the room and she sat down in front of me and there was just something about her that I thought... I can trust you. And she said something I'll always remember. I was talking about my drinking and I said, I'm really frightened. I think I'm going to die. And she said, don't worry because we're going to look after you now. Um, Oh, that's such a comforting thing to say. That's just what you need to hear at that point, isn't it? I just broke down and uncontrollable. And that was the beginning of my recovery journey. That was the beginning. I went in there for 28 days. I was supported by the place I was working at. And, um, yeah, it's been a bumpy ride. It must have been tough, though, because really presumably tough. you would have been craving substances and alcohol and whatnot that, that you'd got used to. Was it was that a kind of cold turkey thing or was it not quite as bad as that? I, I was put on a detox. I was given Librium to detox um, from the alcohol because I would have had quite bad delirium tremors as a result of the amount I was drinking, which could have been dangerous. Mm-hmm. So I was put on, on Librium for about a week to 
two weeks when I was in treatment. I can't remember how long it was. But the process was absolutely horrific. Um, I mean, the detox wasn't that bad because I was helped by the um, medication. But the process of what I had to go through to begin to understand what I was suffering with was just awful, awfully painful, emotionally painful. The amount of trauma that I had was overwhelming and physically I got very unwell as mm-hmm. well as a result of it because my body was holding on to, t- to years and years of toxic um, shame. Well, I, um, yeah, I, c- I can understand that. So you talked through everything with these counsellors. You know, only really chipping away at the surface, but it was the first opportunity for me to have my voice heard, you know, because I'd never had my voice heard. And to feel validated that this stuff had happened to me because of how it had been dealt with, I'd been convinced that not only was it my fault, but in a strange way that it wasn't true when I knew it was true. When I was told so many years that it didn't happen. and It was like brainwashing, really, and making you question your own sanity. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And and that can be very, very strong, you know. And now I understand that that's what my mum went through. But, yeah, so to, to be able to be heard and to be around people that had also been through things quite similar felt really comforting for me. And it felt like I was at home, you know. In, it's funny, isn't it? In, in a hospital, in, in a treatment centre, I felt like I was at home. But maybe for the first time in years, you were actually able just to relax and be yourself. Yeah, and I think that is another reason why I got physically unwell because almost like my body just went... <sighs> yeah, it's like when you work really, really hard and then you go on holiday, that's when you get your cold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a similar kind yeah. of concept, mm. really. Yeah, but in a much, much bigger scale. Obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I will be thankful to the day I die to the counsellors that worked with me in that treatment centre and the people that I've met along the way and the n- new life that I was given as a result of that and... My goodness, has it been hard. (laughs) And it still can be sometimes. Is that then what made you become a psychotherapist yourself? Did you get just really interested and want to help other people? Yeah, I've always... I mean, I've I've been a singer since a very young age and um, I still love to sing. But I did always want to work in a profession where I was helping other people and... I obviously, because my drinking and my drug taking was far more important to me for a long time, because actually now I realise I was self-medicating for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I still did really want to help other people. And when I came out of treatment, I wanted to be a counsellor straight away. But, you know, I had a lot of stuff I had to work through myself before I could even think about going and, and doing any kind of further study. And after 16 months of being sober, I did suffer a relapse and went back into treatment because I had so much trauma that mm-hmm. I was trying to work through. But that's not unusual, is it? No. And and in fact, I look back now and I'm surprised I didn't relapse sooner because I was trying to deal with so much and trying to do so much to get myself recovered and cured when now I realise that that will never happen. It's learning to cope and and working through those things. So Mm -hmm. it's an ongoing process. So 
You're now running the Happy as Larry group. Tell us about that. (laughs) Um, So Happy as Larry group came about when me me and my now husband, we both love to help people. And my husband is also in recovery too. We met and we started dating and we had our ups and downs as well. But sort of fast forward and a bit, my husband is a life coach and I am now a psychotherapist. And we wanted to form a company to, to help people, but helping from different areas. So I help from obviously a psychotherapy perspective and my husband is more motivational and goal orientated so I will work with people to work through therapy I will work with them in a therapeutic way and my husband then works with people on a motivational level and our work is done one-on-one with people we do group work we're doing some work with university I'm doing a speaking engagement at Loughborough University on Wednesday and we want to portray the message that you can come back from anything in life we're branching out into businesses now we do work with corporate organisations and we have a wellbeing programme which we've designed between us and it's very successful we did a 30 day challenge where we had 10 people trialling the first few stages of the programme and it's been documented and recorded and we we're in the process of, of making a documentary out of that as well. Really? So, yes. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. The basis of how we work is that it's self-acceptance and self-love and learning to like yourself because it sounds very simple, but there aren't a lot of people out there that really fully like who they are. Mm. And, and that's what we've had to learn. To, for us to move forward in our lives, we've had to learn to like ourselves. But that's in a, in a nutshell really what we do. I mean, I have my own private practice. I have my own clients. And with psychotherapy, yeah. presumably it's, it's anything from people wanting to stop smoking or lose weight mm-hmm. straight through to people who are, like you were, quite traumatised. Yeah, I have a very varying amount of clients that bring varying amount of issues to me one day a week I work with people who are just come out of treatment and they're in a halfway house and they're working through their addiction issues but they come with complex trauma Mm -hmm. Uh, you know some of the stuff I hear it makes me grateful for my background it's serious serious stuff and it makes me realize you know that I have a lot to be grateful for Mm -hmm. um, despite what I had growing up what it has given me today is an incredible life where I can help other people so there is always something to be grateful for and I wouldn't be doing what I do today and and being able to connect with people how I do if I didn't have first-hand experience of a lot of things that had happened to me when I have a client in front of me saying to me I was abused seriously and, and I went through awful traumatic things and I can really connect with that yeah you, you know? can empathize with that Absolutely. you know what it's like yeah you're not yeah. sitting from the other end of a oh yeah I've heard about these things before you Mm. you can actually understand it yeah really can yeah do you think with children do we handle it very well as a society when when I know there's child line and all of these options Mm. now that we hope that people will will grab at but I guess it's seeing it all the way through as well and it sounds to me like the authorities didn't necessarily Mm. see it through for you because you know, you ended up being persuaded you were lying mm-hmm. and then you ended up back in the situation, although it was a little bit off the grid, I think, wasn't it? The authorities didn't know that you were mm-hmm. staying with that man again, but you were. Mm-hmm. There didn't seem to be any checks there. I, I do feel that I was let down a lot and and that is a really sad case, you know. But I do realise that 
there were things that they couldn't have been aware of. It's, it's a difficult one, really, because sometimes the perpetrators can be so in control of, of the, that family home and the life that there is no way of anyone outside really knowing what's going on. Even after all that stuff happened to me, you know, I could say, you know, they could have done this and they should have done that. But when I look back at how it was managed from closed doors, you know, from how we were almost lined up and told what to say when we were seen by counsellors after the whole thing had happened how would they have ever known so Mm -hmm. I've had to work a lot on my acceptance does it still make me angry yes it still makes me angry it makes me very sad as well but it also frightens me that it could still be going on with with young children today and it's a very difficult one because childhood sexual abuse is not something people talk about very often. But then that in itself gives the perpetrators the strength to carry on and do what they do because it's such a taboo subject. So I really think that it's something that needs to be not taboo and something that, that is discussed as something in an educational sense, you know, for young children so that they understand that. I have a daughter now, she's 14 months old, and, and I have to say, you know, it, it frightens me that anything could ever happen to her. Yeah. And I, I say to my husband, you know, as soon as she can cognitively understand... We need to educate her that, that that's not right in any sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Nobody has the right to ever infringe in your private areas at all. And I hope that that's the education that, that young children get. So it's all we can really do as a society, isn't it? So yeah. what are your plans now? You've got this uh, Happy as Larry group, which sounds like it's going absolutely splendidly. Mm. What's the future in store for you? Well, as I mentioned, we're working on our wellbeing programme, which we are delivering to businesses. So we are speaking and exhibiting at the business show in London at the XL at the end of November. And we are developing our programme to work with corporate organisations. We are also speaking, I mentioned about the university, um, and we're going into schools. We speak at schools and we deliver workshops and seminars. And I'm developing my private practice as well and yeah just kind of it's all exciting really I mean it's just um, we work really well together and yeah we're just it's just exciting to see where the business will will go Um, my husband recently did a TEDx talk as well which was amazing for him so yeah and also being a (laughs) mum yes which is (laughs) a huge job in itself (laughs) it is it is yeah it's taught me a hell of a lot and it taught me that I only really had myself to worry about before she came along and it's really um, shown me and taught me a lot Um, but it's also brought up a lot from my childhood as well which is good in a way because it's more things that I I realise that I need to work through from my background it has really taught me to to be very loving towards my daughter and I, I want to give her the best life that she deserves but I'm determined not to allow that dysfunctional cycle to continue and for her to always have the freedom to speak if she needs to speak and um, she's a very very sociable baby and and I allow her to have that freedom because she deserves that freedom yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't want my fears to stop her from from being the person that she really deserves to be so yeah I'll try my best well it sounds like you're absolutely sorted. Lucy, thank you very much for coming in and telling us your story. It's pretty harrowing in places, but at least it's got a fabulous outcome in the end, and that's what we like to hear. Thank you. Thank Thank you you very much. much. 
And that was Lucy De Silva talking to Linda Ness. Lucy is such a positive person. I mean, absolute pleasure to meet a positive person considering all the horrible things that she's been through. Mm. And she really has turned her life around. You know, when she talks about the, the experiences that she had with, with drinking and taking drugs and bulimia and all of that kind of thing, eating disorders, because she'd been told she was fat. Yeah. You know, it's just awful. I'm, I always think that she's very brave having a chat like that and being very honest about what she's been through because you can tell she's still going through that and you'll never get over that. But conquering it is a very big struggle and she yeah. seems to have turned that round. And she does say that she has moments yeah. where things go a bit low, but she's a very good inspiration, isn't she? She really is. She is fantastic. And think, yeah, and I think when you do get the right help, that's how you're going to feel. <laughs> You're listening to Women Making Waves on Cambridge 105 Radio.